It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hello and welcome to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian's beat reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And okay, we're a little bit late, but uh, we're still in the week of giving. I mean, we're, we're recording the day after Giving Tuesday. I mean, come on. It's still Thanksgiving week in our in our minds, so I think it's only appropriate for us to do, I think, what we did last year, honestly, and sort of go around the league and figure out exactly what we're thankful for from each team over the 2023 season because they've provided all of us plenty. Even the teams that maybe struggled to have as much success as others, there have been moments all year long um, that Sarah probably tweeted baseball is the best about. So um, no team is ever left out in that process. So it's probably best for us to just go around. We can highlight one moment maybe from um, all over and we can just bounce around from team to team. So Sarah, do we want to just start in the NL? Do you think that works? Yeah, let's start in the NL. We'll start with the West and we're going to go kind of um, bottom to top up the standings. So we'll start with the bottom of the NL West, then the bottom of the NL Central, and so on and so forth. I want to say, I mean, it's what we're thankful for with these teams, what these teams are most likely thankful for and what the fans are most likely thankful for. I mean, I think these ideas are something that baseball fans and teams and players can kind of, you know, all come together with. So I will start with the Colorado Rockies. And yes, I'm staring at the standings. I see the run differential. I see their winning percentage. But you know what I'm grateful for? And thankful for with the Colorado Rockies. I am thankful for their two outfielders, Brenton Doyle and Nolan Jones, who were able to uncork 100 mile an hour assists this year, 95 plus, playing incredible defense and just really wowing us on a team where we usually think of offense, not defense. Yeah, and I guess that brings me to the Giants then if we're working our way from bottom to top here. And I don't know. I think it's part of me that just wants no hitters as much as I can possibly get. And I just think it's in some ways so painful and some ways still so special of just thinking about how close and how difficult those moments are to experience. So I'm going to at least shout out uh, Alex Cobb for sending out that alert of, okay, let's let's look for a no-hitter tonight. Every time I see one of those alerts, even if I'm covering a game, I try to flip it on as fast as I possibly can and try to watch along because I've said it a trillion times. I love no-hitters so much. And he got eight and two-thirds innings into it, one out shy of the no-hitter. Painful, gut-wrenching. You think of all that stuff, it's so close. But I think that also is just a testament to how dominant that stuff was for almost all 27 outs. So you at least have to shout it out. Don't let it be a blemish of, he got so close but didn't get there. I say shout out the eight and two-thirds because it was so close to making it there. And I'm grateful for that excitement of coming down to the ninth inning of, okay, is it going to happen? So I have the Padres. And I'm going to continue on my defense theme unintentionally because, by the way, I just want everyone to know we did no planning here in advance beyond saying, hey, we're going to do this. So I didn't even realize which teams I would have, and neither did Mandy until we started talking. But I'm continuing with defense. And for the Padres, I'm going with Fernando Tatis Jr., and the defense that he played in right field this season, winning a gold glove, 
his first year as a defender in the outfield. He played like 20-something games in the outfield prior to this year. And what I love that he did, and I love when guys kind of, you know, talk a little trash, brag where they're totally, um, totally within their right to do. So someone tweeted at him and posted him on that in March when he misplayed a ball in right field and just said something of like, oh boy, like, how is this going to go? Like, this is going to be a disaster. He wins the gold glove. He gets on there. He shares that post. And he's like, gold glove season. So, you know what? If anyone is allowed to talk that way, mm-hmm. and someone who was a shortstop, and all of a sudden this year, ends up becoming a gold glove right fielder. So there's a lot with the Padres that was really fun to watch, even if the season didn't turn out the way they wanted. With Juan Soto, with Man Machado, Hassan Kim, so on and so forth. But I'm going to go with Tatis in right field. I don't know how I'm getting lucky. I have the D-backs here, and my gosh, where do I start? I have, like, Santa's whole list worth. I have a whole scroll that I'm going through of listing off things. One, just to have an underdog team to root for. I, it's a blast, and it's someone who you didn't expect to even be there. Um, and I think we had written it. We talked about it. I've just one of the most unexpected teams of all time to be in that position. So um, that in general is plenty to be grateful for when you think of what they provided baseball and just being an upset type of team. But more specifically, uh, one, you can just say Corbin Carroll in general. That's just like, uh, how do you not mention him when you're thinking about what he gave to baseball this year? Um rookie of the year type of performance. And uh, it truly was just quite a performance. And I think if I'm going more specifically uh, of a single moment, maybe from the postseason, man, there's just so much with this team that you can't really choose one. Um, But I think like, I, I think my moment from the postseason for this team was thinking back to game four of the NLCS um, when Alec Tomic, uh, Thomas has the game tying Homer pinch hit Homer into the pool. Um, I think that's as good as it gets any type of pinch hit moment like that. Geez, the excitement's always so high. So I think that was such a big moment. And then there's celebrations in the pool, all of it. Like this team was so great. Um, and I think it was just really fun for baseball to have something so different to root for all year long. No, I have the Dodgers, so obviously, one huh. division, we know there's a lot of positivity in there, no question. But you know what I'm going to go with is just the way the regular season played out. I know the postseason, they kind of ran out pitching, ran out of steam a bit. But this was supposed to be the year that the Dodgers were supposed to take a snap back. These were not supposed to be the dominant Dodgers we'd seen over the last 10 years. This was supposed to be a very different team. You know what the Dodgers said to that? They said how was a plus 207 run differential and 100 wins. They won the division by 16 games over the Diamondbacks. And yes, Diamondbacks made the World Series. Diamondbacks beat the Dodgers in the playoffs. The Dodgers showed how much resilience they have. This was a team that lost Gavin Lux in spring training. And you end up having a guy like Mookie Betts who says, Hey, I was the second baseman in the minors. I'm always asking him to play. Lux put me in the infield and I'm playing. My feeling and second So, for me, for the Dodgers, it's simply the fact that they were the Dodgers with a capital D yet again. And your world was thought they might not be. Well, that rounds out the West. Let's bump over to the Central then. I'll move over into the Cardinals. And how can you have anything other than just Adam Wainwright? 
that's it. That's the only answer that you can give here. Um, in a, in a era of baseball where it's so rare to see one guy have the loyalty to one team for so long, he wraps up 18 years with St. Louis. I mean, come on, that's as good as it gets. Um, and so closing that out and just the, the moments that were in that final stretch, especially him getting one more at bat. I mean, how it gets as it's as good as it gets. His send off was so special. Um, he got his 200th win um, in September. I'm just there's just there's so many things that he gave baseball for so long, and just his career in general needed to be. Um, highlighted. I thought it was done beautifully. I thought the Cardinals organization did everything beautifully. Uh, I remember seeing Yachty in the stands and um, did he have like let Wayno bat or something like that? Did he have that sign? Like, yeah, like that stuff is just as that just was so special of an ending for someone who had been with this organization for so long, been in baseball for so long. Um, so I, I really don't think that there's any other answer that you could give than Adam Wainwright. No, I've got the virus and I'm not meaning to know all about demons here, but I have to talk about Key Ryan Hayes for this one because this is a guy who has been so electric, so much fun to watch since he came up in 2020. I believe in 2020, he either led rookies and more with Siam in that short season, despite playing in like 25 games in the entire season because he came up toward the end of the year. And for him, it's always been about that defense. And he was the guy to finally snap that streak of Nolan Arenado gold gloves at their base in the National League. He became the first guy not named Arenado to win the award at that position in the NL in a really, really long time. We know how seriously he takes his event. You know, seeing him get a chance to win the award and the way he was able to help, you know, steady the team with that team and throughout the year. I know where the Pirates finish. I know all of that, but they had some really exciting moments, especially early in the season. And Keith Ryan Hayes was really at the heart of a lot of them. Okay, that takes me up to the Reds, which they, they had a, a fun year, started to come down to the wire with the wild card. So it was an exciting year, but Ellie De La Cruz is the man. I Truly, I don't remember the last time I had been that excited to see a player in person for the first time. I mean, I think Shohei Otani gets that out of me every single time that I see that the Guardians will be playing the Angels um, and now a team to be named later. Um, but I think when I was heading to Cincinnati to see that, I was just so pumped to see what Ellie De La Cruz was in person, mostly to see that speed. And I think speed is such an underrated part of this game, and he is bringing the biggest spotlight to it. And um, you watch this dude run, and it's ridiculous. He is lightning fast. He's at the top of the board of every sprint category you could imagine. Um, and his sprint speed, I think, is over 30 feet per second, whatever it might be. It's ridiculous. And so I like to see those parts of the games highlighted. You're talking about arm strength. You go back to Nolan Jones. Well, this dude has an, a cannon of an arm. Um, so you think about the arm strength, the actual just running speed. And I think most importantly, the first day or two that he was in the big leagues was as, as as exciting of an arrival to the majors as anyone could have ever had. Um, that first day he was able to get his first hit. It's a double, but that second game, he had a triple and a Homer. And I'm just thinking like, what on earth? This is just insanity of what this guy is. Rookies can come up and struggle so often and take forever to find their footing. So to start on that, to start in that excitement and get a fan base to rally around you, I thought was awesome. And I think just Ellie De La Cruz should be such an exciting player to see as he continues to develop. I had 
so much fun watching the Chicago Cubs in 2023. And, you know, I'll say loves watching any team, looking at a team, mm-hmm. win 39 games in 162 game season. I would still say I had fun watching them. But the Cubs were surprising in 2023 in a way that I think a lot of people, most people, <laughs> outside of the Cubs front office and their clubhouse probably did not see coming. They were competitive into September, finished above 500, positive run differential, actually better run than, than the Brewers who won the division. And I think about Dan B. Swanson and how important of a presence he was for this Cubs team in 2023. And how I never thought in my mental image of him would be anything other than him in a Braves hat after all of that time in Atlanta. And now it's almost hard to imagine that he hasn't always been a cop. So I think the impact he had immediately in Chicago was really, really important. And I just think the team had so much life to it. I mean... I know maybe it's not fair to say that the guy who is now a free agent was one of the things to be thankful for, but on the 2023 Cups, Cody Bonder, his resurgence, his return to being a really great player, he just won a comeback player in the year. Seeing him, even if he isn't a part of their plans moving forward, was really, really fun to watch. Okay, that takes me to the Brewers. Is that who we're up next? Yep, we got the Brewers. Um, I I have, uh, let's say a tie. Let's say a tie. I, I'm struggling with picking one person, one moment, whatever it might be. So let's say that I have a tie here. I think one is uh, in their postseason clinch. It was Rowdy Teles who secured that final out. Okay, let's just break this down. A position player is who was on the mound to secure that final out. I thought that was as awesome as it gets because you're, you know, you never tie those into big moments. We love position player pitching moments always. Um, But you never tie those into the clinch, the big moment. You're always picturing them in some random June game that really doesn't seem to matter. And it's a blowout one way or the other. But no, this was the moment that was the clincher. I love that. Love everything about that. He was also part of my other moment that I'm sort of tying in here. Um, He was one of the three who went back to back to back against Max Scherzer. Oh gosh, this was at the very beginning of the year. Um, They had back to back to back homers off of Scherzer and it was the debut of the like cheese head that they had going um, the home run cheese. We talked so much about celebrations um, this year and it seemed like teams got really, really creative, but I loved the, the home run cheese head that they had. Um, And so I thought that was just a great start to a year that they ended up winning once again, the NL central. All right, that wraps up the NL Central for us. Now I'm the best in the National, and then for me, there's two guys. I mean, okay, you just said home run celebrations. I wasn't going to go this route, but I do have to mention the George Washington wig that they would put on <laughs> when they hit home runs. That was outstanding, and that is certainly a reason to be thankful. But I was going to go with two players who had really, really exciting years for the Nationals and show what is to come for them, and that's Josiah Gray and C.J. Abrams, both of whom they got in those trades they made over the last few years. Gray coming over from the Dodgers without Scherzer and Trey Turner trade, and Abrams coming over from the Padres and the Soto deal. They both had really outstanding seasons. Josiah Gray was an all-star for them. And he wasn't the token all-star. He was, but he was a token all-star who deserved it, not just the guy who was there because the team has to have someone. 
He's a really fun player. He's from New Rochelle, New York. He did some really fun stuff in his hometown, I believe, when they played the Yankees, maybe. And C.J. Abrams, with his alien emoji being his favorite emoji, he wears those necklaces, and I believe in that same Yankees series. There was a fan in the stands who had a sign saying, hey, that's my favorite, too. There may have been like a necklace exchange, something mm-hmm. like that. But these are just really fun players. It's exciting for the fan base. You know, the season the whole one and what fans might want. But this team in the second half was pretty close to 500. And I think that's a really good sign of things to come. Oh, the Mets. Uh, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, Alana. I know you're listening. Um, <laughs> the the Met the Mets. It was such. <laughs> I see Alana's frowny face now. Um, it was a disappointing year for them. I know that the the hopes were high. I remember sitting at the BBWAA dinner back in January, and Buck Showalter sitting up there, and Justin Verlander's there to save the day and come to New York, and it just it didn't work out the way they were hoping. And so it, it's hard when you're looking through moments because I know New York fans are so passionate, and it's just like it's it's hard to find the silver lining sometimes. Um, but I think the moment that sticks out to me, maybe the most, and maybe it was because it was so recent was that ridiculous doubleheader day for Francisco Lindor, um, closing out the year. I think it was at the end of September, the Mets had a doubleheader against Miami. And in those two games, he hit three home runs. Um, and I think in those three home runs, it clinched his 30, 30 season, um, so I, I think that there's there's obviously there's been a handful of moments that I, I think there was a Alonzo walk off um, even earlier in the year that could have been something that was also against the Rays in extra innings after someone tied it with a homer in the ninth or something. I don't know. You're laughing because you probably know every single person and I'm struggling to remember all of this. But um I just think that Francisco Lindor certainly struggled as he made his transition to New York and started to settle in at least a little bit more um, as a true ball player there. And I, I know I saw him in Cleveland for at least a little bit before he left. And I still think that he is a fun, exciting player that people need to be paying attention to. And I think having a number like a 30-30 season um, is impressive is something to sort of bolster that resume, that reputation, that expectation of what he can provide moving forward. Um, and I think he was only the fourth player in franchise history to do that. So I think that's still pretty special. Um, and just a reminder that there are some good pieces there that they can build around and there's still reasons to be excited moving forward, even though there was a little bit of pain this year as a Mets fan. So I have the Marlins next, and this is so easy. I mean, oh my gosh, I love that I got them. This is a team that nobody was picking to be competitive or not. Many were not thinking this year they go out and they make the playoffs, even with that negative run to Prandtl. They make the playoffs. They end up running into the Phillies. No shame in that whatsoever. But this team showed so much fight. You had Luis Arise, you know, flirting with 400 into what, the end of June, into July practically. Or so they're crushing home runs and just really, really fun team to watch all up and down the lineup. And I mean, I gotta go with the manager if I'm singling one person out. Obviously, a rise was really, really fun. And they had that off-season trade that worked out so well for both them and the Twins with Pablo Lopez for Luis Arise. But Tim Schumacher, in his first year at the manager, managing this team to the postseason, winning manager of the year, and just really showing... 
how much he was, you know, born to be doing this. You can see how much he respects it. And it was just a really fun game to watch all season. And that's not really what we were necessarily expecting out of them entering the year. All right, my last one of the NL. I'm so excited to have the Phillies because I I have to go to the Attaboy Harper stuff because it, it was truly the talk of the postseason for a little stretch there. And if somehow you don't remember, it was all during the um, NLDS when they were playing the Braves, which I guess Sarah will be talking about very soon. Um, and some comments were heard in the Braves clubhouse from Orlando Arcia of saying, ha ha ha, attaboy Harper over a little blunder. Um, and that's all you need when you have a superstar athlete to get a little chip on their shoulder. Um, and the, the response was unbelievable. The response was two home runs. Um, in game, uh, three, uh, it was the very next game after all of that stuff went down and he had two very hardcore stare downs of Arcia as he was, uh, rounding those bases. So I I think it was a little extra jolt of energy for everyone, especially Phillies fans and Phillies fans are so funny. They get so intense. And so, um, not only did just, was that all Bryce Harper needed to get floored? That was all the Phillies fan base needed to get floored. And so, um, I thought that was just, you have the atmosphere of the postseason to begin with that escalated at times a trillion. Um, and in those moments, I, I, the, you don't get better TV than, that type of stuff. So I am grateful to Arcia for allowing that to take place and sparking that and allowing Bryce Harper to do what superstars do and give us one of my favorite moments of the postseason, uh, hands down. All right. So I'll finish up the NL with Braves. And yes, their postseason did not go the way they would have won, as you just detailed. But this is thankfulness for the Braves. And, I mean, it starts and ends at the top of the alphabet with Acuna. Ronald Acuna Jr., 41 homers, a 337 batting average, 149 runs, scored 73 strong bases, a 596 slugging percentage as a leadoff hitter. None of this even remotely makes sense. And it does because he is so, so good. Took all of the demands in the world of the new rules, but this is the guy who is going to go 40-40. No matter what rules were in place, we knew that. But for him to come back two years after tearing his ACL in Miami, come back, win a unanimous MVP award, Join the list of guys who win Rookie of the Year and MVP. Do it all within just a handful of seasons. He's been in the league six years, already a four-time All-Star, won that Rookie of the Year his first year. Now he's an MVP. He's about to turn 26. The sky is still the limit. And he is so much fun to watch. I know I keep saying that I'm a broken record. Unless you're rooting for the team he is playing against, it's impossible not to smile while watching Ronald Acuna Jr. And I will give a shout out to the rest of the lineup. This team became the first team in MLB history to slug 500 or better as a team. They were a wagon, top to bottom. But he was at the top, and he was so, so good. All right, let's take a quick break right now, and when we come back, we will go team by team in the American League. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm Mandy, that's Sarah, and now we're moving into the AL West, and I'll be starting with the A's, and I think we 
we can't ignore the ridiculous number that was put up this year in the stolen base category. I know that the A's struggled. I know they didn't have many highlights, but this cannot be ignored. It freaks me out. I was talking about speed earlier and how impressive it can be. And um, Estee Ruiz was unbelievable when it comes to that. I'm telling you, 67 stolen bases is just, uh, you just. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based channel championship team talked about it i know to close out the first segment but like to do that um basically it in your rookie season it's just that's as impressive to me as it gets it's a number that is ridiculously impressive and i know it was setting the it set the al rookie record um, and he did that on the final day of the regular season this year. What a way to put a little exclamation point on your season, on your rookie year. I'm sure it would be enjoyable to then close that up, go back with your family and understand exactly what you just did in your first full season in the big leagues. So uh, I think that's by far the highlight for Oakland this year. So I have the Angels, and yes, there are a lot of things I think Angels fans can be excited about moving forward, looking Rob Washington, looking at the fact that Mike Trout is still a Hall of Famer, living active on this team, and looking at guys like Joe Adele, who, by the way, had a 500-foot home run in the minors this year. But we are looking back, so I have to talk about Oshine, even if he isn't currently on the team. Winning his second unanimous MVP award. Nobody else had ever won unanimously multiple times. And of course, he's the first guy to do it. I mean, I could do this whole segment about the dog he had at the MVP announcement, who I still don't have enough personal biographical information about. We can also talk about the season before he heard his arm. His pitching was so, so good, and his bat was so good all year. I mean, when I think about Shohei Otani in 2023, what will stand out to me was that double header in Detroit on some. I feel like it was a Thursday afternoon, but I don't have it up. That very Thursday vibe where he threw a shutout in the first game. And then the second game, he had two home runs. I mean... Nobody does that when he does that. It was his first ever shot up, and he wasn't even tired. And that second game came back and hit two on runs. So in terms of what Angels fans and the Angels are grateful for from 2023, it has to be Shohei Otani. Yeah, there's no other answer. Uh, when we go into the Seattle Mariners, yep, okay, sorry, I lost my list for a second. Seattle Mariners are next on the list, and all right, well, I think it 
everything comes down to the month of August for them. It was insane. I know I keep saying that, but it truly, truly was. I remember us recording our podcasts um, during that time period of trying to project in a month what this is going to look like and what do we think is the most surprise that could happen here. And we kept saying, well, it seems like the Mariners are starting to get on a little bit of a roll. Like, I think that they're going to be the surprising team to creep into the postseason. They almost were. They came down to the final days of the regular season. Um, They fought tooth and nail after a slower start to the year than anyone was expecting. Um, But they forced it down to the wire. They didn't make it. Um, it came up, they came up just short, but I think it all stems down to the month of August where they were just on a rip and a tear. And unlike really any other club, a, it was the most wins in their franchise history um, in a single month, which I think they had 21 victories in a single month. Um, so I, I think that that is just a level of play that, a fan base could just be so hype about. Could you imagine tuning in as a Mariners fan every single night in August? And it's just like, my gosh, are they ever going to lose? And so um, I think from that perspective, that month really juvenated a fan, uh, rejuvenated a fan base to think, um, all right, this team could be in it. This could be something to watch down the stretch. And it made everyone stay in it until the final, final days of the season. Uh, the Rangers feels like, I don't know, like I'm getting a, some sort of free pass card in Monopoly <laughs> or something, or a new, no, I don't even know. I mean, this is so obvious. They won the World Series first ever uh, title for the Rangers. Bruce Bochy comes out for retirement to manage this team to the World Series. They signed Jacob Chagram in the offseason. Yeah, unfortunately, gets injured. He's not even the reason they win the World Series. But by the way, you're a team that just won the World Series. And you're going to have Jacob Dragon coming back next year. You have Max Scherzer coming back next year after trading for him and him getting injured toward the end of the World Series. You have Corey Seeker and Marcus Semien when they signed a few years ago as the signal that they were ready to start competing again. These guys coming out, Seager winning World Series MVP for the second time in his career. And just everything about this team. I mean, Evan Carter, who Rangers fans barely even got to know during the regular season, and now might be some people's favorite player after what he did in October and get a full season. Of him, so absolutely everything from a season that, as we know, in the regular season, did not end the way this team would have wanted to. They led the division for so much of the year, did not win the division, end up losing in that tiebreaker to the Astros. But you know what? It didn't matter in the end. They beat them mm-hmm. in the LCS go undefeated on the road. I mean, there are a million things with the Rangers, and I always love seeing a new fan base, a new team get to celebrate in this way for the first time. So it was just a wonderful, wonderful season for them. Speaking of the Astros, that leads me to the last team in the AL West. I think a single moment is obviously the three-run homer that Jose Altuve hit in that game five of the ALCS. Um, to take the lead there and just a devastating loss for the Rangers. But I'm not going with that. I mean, it seems very obvious, but if I'm going for what I'm thankful for, I'm thankful that I got to see a no hitter. This comes back to what I started. Um, I know guardians fans weren't, weren't thankful for that. No hitter. I can tell you that, (laughs) but I love seeing no hitters in person. It's baseball history. And it was a rough day for the Guardians. They had traded Aaron Savali. They traded Josh Bell for nothing. And it was, they were struggling. Like fan, the fan base was struggling to accept that. The clubhouse was not very receptive. It was, ooh, that was a rough place to walk into during all of that. And then at the end of that day, they get no hit. It was brutal. It's as brutal of a storyline as it gets for Cleveland. But for the Astros, um, 
You have Framber Valdez, who just shut them down, pitched absolutely lights out, um, makes a historic moment in baseball history, um, throwing a no-hitter, and it just, there's no atmosphere, I guess the postseason, okay, no regular season atmosphere, like a crowd sitting on pins and needles watching the home team in the process of throwing a no-hitter, rooting for every single pitch as if you're in Game 7 of the World Series, holding your breath and praying that this is going to happen. It's as awesome and electric as it gets. One day I will get my home one no-hitter, but (laughs) until then... I will savor each opposing no-hitter, losing no-hitter that I get to write about and witness because they are truly, truly so special to be a part of. All right, we're on to the L Central now. And I am thrilled to. I was so impressed by Bobby Witt Jr. this year. We saw at the beginning of what he could do as a rookie last year when he had a handful of home runs and stolen bases. What is he doing his sophomore year? His 30 homers steals, 49 bases, and 276 slugged almost 500, 495, and played outstanding defense. He showed that there's a reason. He came up with all the hype surrounding him lived up to it and really guided that team. It was so much fun to watch day in, day out. And if I'm thinking of one moment, I remember that walk-off grand slam he had when there was a young fan in the stands, a little girl, probably like, I don't know, eight, nine years old, and they showed her crying when he had that walk-off grand slam, not knowing what to do. They had traveled from somewhere and come all the way. And their favorite player is to walk up Grand Sam. And I know from growing up, being that kid in the stands, that's not usually what happens or not always what happens. Especially when you only go to a few games a year. You don't always get that perfect moment. But he gave that to that young fan and to all of those fans. So, I always love to see a prospect live up to the hype and be who he's supposed to be. And he will give a little second half down to Cole Reagans, who they got in that trade for a role of the champ with the Rangers. 264 ARA and 12 starts. Really, really good stuff. Really good sign for the future on the beast thing picks up at the deadline. Okay, White Sox, I know again, not the year that a fan base would have wanted. Frustrating season again, but there, this might have been the moment of baseball. Like, it's not even just the moment that White Sox fans or us or any individual should be thankful for. I think this is the moment of baseball season. There's a reason that he won the comeback player of the year. It was Liam Hendricks' return to the mound this year. It just, even talking about it, I'm already starting to get goosebumps again because truly unbelievable, special, emotional, every adjective that you can have moment um, coming back from his treatment for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I remember reading about his preparation coming back and in rehab starts and all these things. And he was trying to, or rehab outings, he was trying to, stay focused and be angry and pitch angry and all these things. And then all these guys keep like cheering for him. The opponents are clapping for him. And he's like, it's so hard to stay angry at you guys when you're doing this for me. I remember reading all of that. Um, He seems like a genuine, truly special individual human being. Um, And to see him have the comeback that he had, after a battle with cancer to come back on the mound. I know again, then he started to have elbow inflammation and really just had another botched year, but with injury, but this time it wasn't that health scare that he had to go through. Um, And that return, just the emotions throughout the ballpark from both teams, from every person in the building, you, they kept panning up to his family and showing them and, there's a mix of emotions of just being so proud and 
trying to hold back tears and while watching him enjoy this moment, I cannot say enough things. That was just the highlight, I think, of the 2023 season is to see someone come back from something like that. And now I have the Guardians. Obviously, the number one answer here is that they got now, Mandy Bell, be their beat reporter. That is the number one thing that everyone in the Guardians organization, every Guardians fan should be thankful for. But also, we'll do something about the team. So, one of the things I really enjoyed watching this year was Josh Naylor and Bo Naylor getting a chance to play together. The reactions that Josh had. Mm-hmm. When Bo hit home runs, the two of them combined for 28 home runs together. We had quite a game where they both home in the same inning, maybe. Yep. Texas. Yep. Mm -hmm. And just seeing the way that these two interacted, Josh Naylor, of course, with the very super and very tangible through the TV personality. Bo Naylor a bit more the quieter younger brother, but seeing the way they interacted together was really, really cool. And it gets back to the fact that this is a game that every single person involved in it grew up playing or dreaming about when they're four or five years old with their siblings if they have them. In the backyard, so the idea of these two are separate by three years being on the same team and getting to play in the majors together is one of those dream come true things. Not also mentioned Terry Francona, just seeing him in his final season, even though he didn't want to goodbye, even though they still made him do one. In those final home games, Jose Ramirez was blocking the dugout, so he had to stay on the field. Oh, it's in Tampa's camp. Am I right about that? You mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but just seeing him and seeing his impact in the game one more time was really, really great. Okay, Tigers, I am going to speak on my own experience again because I was so lucky that the Guardians ended in Detroit this year. And this year was the goodbye year to Miguel Cabrera, another legend who's been in this game forever of when I'm thinking back to when I was a kid watching baseball, loving it. Um, And to see his final weekend in Detroit was so unbelievable. The crowd was awesome. The way that the, the Tigers organization prepped everything so that he could enjoy every day. Each game of the final series had a different theme about him. And it was really, really neat. They had every player, teammate, opponent, friend, family, everything. They popped up on the big screen in between innings to give him a message. And uh, that whole weekend was very well done. Um, And to be a part of that, to witness that in person was special, but it just did not get any better than the Tigers putting him out at first base briefly. I mean, he was going out there for one out. It seemed like that was the plan. They threw him out there just so he could get back in the field and then could get one more ovation when they pulled him off. And somehow, some way that ball found him. He had a ground ball right to him. And the emotion that he had getting that ground ball in that brief moment that he got back on the field, recorded the out. It was so, it was, it was a kid. You couldn't tell that this was this old man in baseball years who's on his way out the door. It was a guy who was just in channeling his inner child of loving baseball, loving how this was closing out for him. And he was so excited. He brought, they brought his family out on the field to pull him off and, the game stopped. Every single person hugged him on his way off the field. Um, and it was as awesome as a, as a closing chapter for this baseball story as it got. So shout out to that whole Miguel Cabrera weekend because it was just perfect. And then I have the division winning Minnesota Twins, obviously. First and foremost, they stem the streak. We no longer have to talk about how many consecutive postseason games or series they've lost. So obviously getting that monkey off your back is huge. Then I want to talk about a guy who helped them do that. 
can also help them to sun in the regular season, and that's Royce Lewis. Royce Lewis homered each of his first team played appearances in his postseason career in that series in the wildcard round against the Blue Jays, helping the Twins and their fans see that they could do this. And I remember him hitting that first home run and distinctly having the feeling of kind of the idea I'm a young guy just saying, what ghosts? I don't believe in ghosts. Like, what curse? What streak? I don't even know what you're talking about. And he brought that energy. He's such a fun player to watch. I remember his family being shown in the sand, his mom and dad. And he is the guy who's been through a lot with injuries. So for him to come out and be kind of the crystallizing force of their offense in that series was huge. And of course, we're in the division you cover. <laughs> so mm. I'm going to mention two games that you witnessed, which were two of his, what was it, four Grand Slams, five Grand Slams. <laughs> it seemed he, like a hundred. <laughs> you saw two of them. You saw mm-hmm. one on August 28th. And one on September 4th, he set all of these records for a shortest span between, or shortest span to hit three Grand Slams, four Grand Slams, what have you. Set a record for rookies on Grand Slams, most Grand Slams with them. First, however many career home runs, he was the Grand Slam king. And again, it is so much fun to see something like this from any team, any player. But especially a guy who has dealt with really, really tough injuries. I think he was a guy who Twins fans were extra happy for. And this was really exciting conclusion in a way, but also a very exciting beginning for him. Okay, on to the AL East. It starts with the Red Sox. And I think I'm going to stick with the theme that we seem to be having of like these young guys who are performing well um, and just go with Tristan Casas, who really was a standout. And it just seemed like it was sort of like a late bloomer of really getting on everyone's radars. Um, I know I, I had a rookie of the year vote this year and I started to really break down the numbers. I'm thinking, my gosh, this dude is really really solid you start looking down at everything um his 856 ops his 24 homers uh just it just seemed like he he really seems like he has the building blocks to go and develop and have this red Sox team that's been maybe a little frustrating for boston fans to watch over the last few years but just it seems like he could be one of those key pieces to build around and has a lot of excitement around him Um, and I think there was a moment earlier, uh, in the year, maybe July, mid July, um, whenever he had two homers against Max Scherzer, um, in, in a game and sort of just that those types of moments are what helps separate you from other rookies. And whenever you're breaking down all of these, trying to figure out who could be a finalist and who should be in your top three and whatever it might be, that was a performance that was definitely a standout when you're breaking all of those down. And it just seems like he's really someone that could be exciting to watch as they move forward. All right. I have the Yankees and I know Yankees fans aren't thrilled that they're here. In terms of us going from the bottom to the top of the division, but there's still a lot to be thankful for and a lot to look forward to. Obviously, a unanimous Cy Young winner, the year that Gary Cole had was a really, really big positive, even for a season. It didn't go overall the way that he might have won. He was so dominant. He finally wins his Siam in the most ever top five finishes by a pitcher prior to winning. And he was just really, really good all year for them in a way that they really needed. And even though they only got Yankees and their fans 
only gotten 106 games. Off Aaron Judge knows they're certainly worth being thankful for. This is a guy who had 37 home runs in 106 games, which should not be humanly possible. Became the first Yankee with multiple three homer games in a single season. <laughs> I saw the second one in person <laughs> against a mentor postseason hero, Brandon Fott. Uh, two of the home runs against him. And he's just, he's Aaron Judge. Anytime he comes to play, he is liable to do something like that. So even though it was less Aaron Judge, in total, then we all got to see in 2022. He was so worth being thankful for. With the Blue Jays, I feel like there are a handful of moments that you could choose between, but I'm going to the Midsummer Classic. I mean, take me to Seattle in the mid, mid-July mid and the whole world watching, and you are in the Home Run Derby the night before the All-Star break uh, or the All-Star game happens, and it's just... Julio Rodriguez is in front of a home crowd and oh my lordy did he put on in a performance that was I truly don't even know if my jaws off the ground yet after watching that first round that was awesome but it was Vlad Guerrero Jr. who put on the ultimate show he continued through round after round after round and ended up facing or hitting 25 what was it 25 homers in the final round or something like that 25 23 against randy rosarena i can just picture still the two of them doing randy's like crossed arms stance whenever they were like about to face out they're looking at each other it was as it was really a great performance I'm still not over baby a Rosarena yet and how stinking cute she was. Um, but it was gr- for Vlad to become the first father-son duo to win that. I think it just made this home run derby more special than most. It was more than just a winner. It was more than just an epic performance. It was There was meaning behind it in a way that no one else really, not many people can relate to. Not many people can draw on having relatives in the big leagues. Not many can have that be specifically their father. And no one else in baseball can say we both took the home run der- derby crown And it's something that you don't think would mean anything to players. And it's just something that's for fun and whatever. We'll just take part in it. But you could see how much it did mean. And you could see how special it was to him. Um, I know he said that his dad didn't give him any uh, advice other than just hit homers. And clearly he did that. But um, I think that was really a special moment for everybody to just see how is this father-son duo can be sort of like that same profile and just dominate when it comes to power. All right, now I have the Rays, and I feel like we have almost forgotten about how good they were at the beginning of the year. So I'm going to talk about that. They started 13-0. That is certainly something to be very thankful for. They were the fourth team in MLB history, so certainly 13 now. And I kept talking about the 1884 St. Louis Maroons. They kept coming up on every set about the race. So I was thankful for the ability to dig really, really deep in order to find out the best context for them in those first 13 games. They played 117 innings and trailed at the end of just six of those 117 to start the season. They had plus 71 run differential in those first 13 games. They had 32 home runs. They got off to this incredible serve, which was essentially... Unlike anything we had ever seen, unlike anything that anyone currently alive had ever seen, given that all the comparisons were these teams in the 1880s. For the Orioles, this is going to round us all out completely here um, with our final team. 
it, I, I was bummed to see their postseason be so quick because this is such a fun, exciting team. Um, so I'm going to go with the bookends really here of pretty much of their regular season. I think from the starting point, we could tell that this was going to be a special year when Adley Rushman became um, the first Orioles player to record five hits on opening day. I think we all started to see, oh boy, they got they got a little fire in them. And of course, everyone can make assumptions on the first week of the season. You, you have no idea what's going to happen. But now in retrospect, that was the tone setter of seeing this team was going to be special. Um, and so from there, I think there was a whole bunch in the middle. I can, but you can't get to all of it. I think starting that moment and then getting to September when they clinched their first postseason berth since 2016, um, when they went on a walk-off sack fly from Mullins um, in the in extra innings. I think it was like the 11th or something like that. So um, to go from that and to picture them celebrating and being excited after a walk-off win, but knowing they were also clinching their first playoff first than 16, a couple days later then they clinched their first AL East title since 14, um, and you just think it's almost been a, a decade since they had been atop uh, such a competitive division year in and year out. So um, I just think it was really head turning because we all knew that they were tra- on this trajectory. We all knew that they were getting back to those types of Orioles from 14, early 2010s. Um, but maybe just not this year. I thought maybe they needed another year to build towards that. No, this was the time they're ready for it. Um, and it was head turning and I'm exciting to see where they go from here. Um, but we'll take a quick break right now. We cannot end this show without asking our favorite producer, Alana Schreiber, what she is most thankful for from baseball this year. So stay with us. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Sarah Langs, and our wonderful producer, Alana Schreiber. And Alana, we cannot end it without your takes here. So what are you most thankful for from the 2023 baseball season? Wow. Okay. So I was not expecting this, um, but <laughs> I, I have so much to be thankful for this season. Everything from getting to go to nine games and officially get my stadium count up to 20 to um, yeah. Hooray. Um, <laughs> to getting to talk with you guys every week about baseball. But um, the thing that I want to share, and this is just kind of a dorky personal one, but I was home for Thanksgiving and my mom had made me a baseball blanket that she crocheted that Aww. I am showing to you now. Oh, here. So it is oh a blanket that it looks like a baseball stadium. There's little Mets logos in the corner for the Mets. But the best part is that each player on the on the field, there's like a little animal sewed into each position. And it's supposed to represent a player or the position so we've got a fox as pitcher because they got to be sly and sneaky and the turtle is the catcher because they have to be slow we have polar bear pete alonzo on first base (laughs) there's a frog jumping in the outfield i mean she really thought about this i mean everyone kind of always thinks that my dad was my big baseball influence because he was a baseball reporter in so many ways he was but my mom has also been a mets fan 
for a long, long time. She loves baseball. She's been to so many games. And the fact that she found this artsy way to crochet not only this knit blanket for me, but an identical one for my twin sister was just so special and such a way to, and what a great way to end the season and physically wrap yourself in (laughs) baseball. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I love this. This perfect because you know, we just spent all this time talking about specific players and teams that on this show specifically, we were always talking about how the best part about baseball is how much it means to so many different people for so many different reasons and in so many different ways. So I love that you brought that personal slam. And I want everyone to know since we were the only ones who got to see the photo <laughs> of the quote on Alana's phone that her case is also looks like a baseball that has the seams and everything. So that's very important <laughs> visual for everyone to hear. It's true. Well, now that now that our hearts are completely full, we can wrap up this week's podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or you have any suggestions for us at all, please leave us a rating and a review. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Bullpark Dimensions podcast, and we'll see you next week.